Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. Welcome to the new episode of the Underdog Podcast, talking Conference USA this week. Joe Londrigan here with you, as always. Usually hear Eric Henry on here with us. Uh, he's feeling a little under the weather, but uh, we'll have him back next week as he uh, rests the throat from a uh, little little flu bug. Um, but to sub in this week, we've got Kevin Fielder, who is a CFB writer uh, all over the place, does a lot of AAC stuff for Underdog, and of course covers the FAU Owls for 247 Sports as well. Kevin, really appreciate you having the time to jump in on short notice here, bud. Absolutely, man. Anytime. I guess I'm what like what like the relief pitcher of this. And they come in when come in with Eric, or you get a little bit tired to come in, and fill in, and then leave. And <laughs> yeah, basically, the, I mean, warm, warm up the throat for the next time I got to go on this. Yeah, I mean, if you're cool with that, I mean, as a yeah, bonus, cool. we'll play the little Timmy trumpet jam as you uh, <laughs> rush in here. I mean, yeah, can I get like a walkout music from now on? <laughs> I mean, if we can afford it, if it's cheap, you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> find some like nice royalty free music <laughs> i mean you were in texas i mean eric and i paid for that whole trip out of pocket so i think we've got about 10 cents left i think that'll buy us a smash mouth song if you're cool with it you get maybe like half a second of a song it's like one drum beat and it's like, all right here he is all right here he is <laughs> <laughs> That's all he gets. Exactly. All right. Well, uh, let's jump into recapping last week, shall we? Uh, on Thursday night, we had Rice beating UTEP 37 to 30. And that was another close game for uh, Rice. Speaking for myself, I know I'm surprised that the Owls actually have a better record than UTEP at this point. And I know we tend to talk about uh, those two schools in the same capacity a lot due to the similarities in their trajectories as programs in the last several years. Those coaches came in at the same time. But uh, Rice has a tough team. They're a physical team, and they've won a ton of close games this year. So Mike Bloomgren's uh, squad should be proud of that. And, you know, I, I think a lot of people have talked about this before, but I think Brad Rosner is like the comeback player of the year for me, um, averaging over 21 yards a catch after playing in one game combined in 2021 and 2020. Uh, been in college a long time. I believe this is his uh, seventh year in college. Graduated back in 2016 from Needville High in Texas. So, uh, I'm impressed with Rice, and I'm surprised UTEP are having this much trouble living up to their potential. Yeah, I think that Rice is just sort of winning games the way that they've always played, but now they're turning into wins. It's not like normally when they run this sort of offense, they lose a couple of close games a year, and you're like, oh, you know, if one or two plays went their way, that's a win under their belt. This year, they're just getting a ton of luck on their side. They're playing, you know, great offense at times they're playing really good situational offense uh, I, I do agree that rosner is probably the comeback player of the year at this point uh, the way that he's played especially over the last about four weeks of the season has been incredible uh, i think he's got over 100 yards in the last in three of the last four he's got five touchdowns or something in the last four like that's sort of the big time players that rice have needed this season and then you have you combine that with the successful running i mean that's what they are that's what they're always going to be i'm glad that we saw them do it without ari broussard though 
uh, because I, I was a little bit concerned of if they could go two or three deep in that room consistently and find ways to win, but not having Ari Broussard in that game and still running the football efficiently. I think they averaged over five yards a carry. That's really good news for, for Rice. And then on UTEP side, I, I, I can't figure out why they're so bad. Uh, you know, or why they're so inconsistent. Uh, I know they lost a couple pieces through the portal, and, you know, obviously they're not the same team as last year, but they probably shouldn't be this bad consistently or this inconsistent, I guess is probably the better word, of, like, just not being able to find ways to win the games and being able to find ways to consistently be as good. That's sort of where I'm a little bit shocked about that UTEP team, and I know that the passing game hasn't been there consistently, and they haven't been able to find ways to be consistent on offense, but... I expect that team to be a lot better than they are this year. So it's a little bit shocking now that we're in week 11 of the season and we're talking about a team that has just struggled so much consistently. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I mean, unless they get a miracle win over UTSA in this last week of the regular season, it's very likely that they're not going back to a bowl game after all the work that they put in last year to to get to that point. And I think when you look back at what UTEP's done this season, obviously this one is going to hurt for a long time. This MTSU loss um, that they had back on October 29th was a little bit of a head scratcher considering how inconsistent that MTSU team has been. But even then, it's, it's not as embarrassing as that loss to New Mexico in Albuquerque back in September, uh, back on September 17th, rather. You know, I, I think when Dana Dimmel has a chance to kind of review this season, I think he's going to look at those three games in particular of like, how did we let ourselves, you know, underperform to that extent to, you know, potentially miss a bowl game if they can't, uh, you know, beat FIU next week first and then come out against UTSA and, and pull off, you know, a miracle, basically. Yeah, I think that the biggest thing is like when you look at that New Mexico game, that's sort of why they're not in a bowl game right now. Like that's the sort of games that you need to win if you're going to be a team that finishes six and six, especially in Conference USA. You have to beat the teams that you're expected to beat. Then you maybe find a way to beat a team like, uh, you know, you, you sneak out a couple of wins throughout the year, but you should have really won the New Mexico game. So when you look back at it, if they don't find a way to make a bowl game this year, and I think as you mentioned, it probably at this point, it probably takes a miracle. Like they just need to that's going to be the sort of game that they look back on and go, you know, if other if a couple plays went right in that game, we're in a bowl game, but we're not. And that's sort of the margin of error for a lot of these Conference USA teams is, you know, you're one or two plays away from not being in a bowl game where comparatively, you know, if two or three plays go right for you in a couple of games, you're looking at six wins, seven wins. And right now they're looking at the the other side of plays just not going their way. Yeah, I mean, you can say a lot about the, for lack of a better term, talent disparity between CUSA and maybe the American or or the Mountain West or one of the other G5 leagues. But at the end of the day, this league is pretty evenly matched, you know, except when you come down from UTSA and uh, probably UAB and and those kind of, and right now North Texas at the top there. And then everybody else is kind of dead, even with each other for the most part. So that's that's one thing about CUSA um, that I think we can look forward to in 2023 and beyond. Um, and speaking of 2020, 2023 and beyond, I think we're going to have to pay attention to what Western Kentucky's got cooking as well. Uh, they beat Charlotte 59 to seven this past week. Uh, not a lot. I think I can really say in terms of analysis here, um, Western Kentucky just demolished. <laughs> they, I mean, they just demolished what looked like a lifeless 49er team really. And I mean, it, Charlotte have plenty of issues here. I, I thought we'd see a better effort from them after that rice up, upset the week prior um but you know really they looked like they were in slow motion for that entire first half yeah i i thought that you'd see them respond a little bit better to the interim coach and coming in with a new energy and probably not winning this game because the talent disparity i think between the two sides with the way both sides are playing right now is 
significant, but I thought that Charlotte would come out a little bit hotter and not, you know, you give up a touchdown in the first minute of the game, then you throw a pick and suddenly, you know, you're looking at like a 28 nothing deficit before you can even blink. And that's sort of why they lose this game. So, so lopsided uh, Western Kentucky's good. I mean, that, that offense is incredible. Austin Reed is playing at a really high level right now and he's playing really efficient. Uh, you know, clearly, you know, he really hasn't put up the same numbers that like Bailey Zappi did last year, but I think he's been really efficient in running the offense, not making a ton of mistakes. And that's sort of why you look at this team. Uh, you know, you, you look at this Western Kentucky team and go, this is what their ceiling is any given week. They're a team that can put up 50 points against pretty much any defense in Conference USA. It's just a matter of if they can do it consistently or put up, you know, 35 plus points consistently. Uh, but this really showed what their ceiling is as, as, as an offense, you know, explosive plays, being able to win in a lot of different ways. Uh, Charlotte, I mean, just ha- has a ton of problems that you, I don't think you're going to be solving in obviously this season, but even like next off season. I mean, they're just, there's a lot of things that they need to figure out. There's a lot of, I guess, soul searching that needs to go on within that, that room. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about Western Kentucky a little more here real quick. Um, you mentioned Austin Reed, you know, not quite being Bailey Zappi and you're absolutely right. But at the same time, I think it's a matter of like putting his success in the context of like what, like success meant as a Western Kentucky quarterback prior to this system that uh, Tyson Helton, Zach Kitley put in and that Ben Arbuckle and and company are now running. Uh, Six touchdown passes for Austin Reed in this game. And you mentioned the first one came on the second play of the game. Um, So now he's up to 28 passing touchdowns for the year. He only needs two more to crack the top 10 in terms of career passing touchdowns in Western Kentucky. If he gets 30, that ties him with, I think, three other people at number 10. And of course, Bailey Zappi is, uh, Bailey Zappi's the, I believe, the not the career leader, but obviously broke the single season record. But that's <laughs> sort of the puts, albatross in that room. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, exactly. But that just shows you, like, this is only one season for Austin Reed that he has he's this is his first season with Western. It's good probably gonna be his only season, I believe. I don't think he has eligibility left after I think this. he may have one year of eligibility. Yeah, at, in D one, right. Cause he cause he played it at West Florida and you know what and, and whatnot before. But yeah, in one year he's going to be essentially st- statistically remembered as one of the best quarterbacks in the history of this program that won an FCS title that's had again statistically the best season for a quarterback ever. I think, again, you're seeing him be really efficient in the offense. He's not putting up the same numbers as Bailey Zappi, and that's sort of going to cloud a lot of people's judgment as to how good he's been. But when you look at the numbers and when you watch him play, he's just making a ton of throws. I mean, he's making a ton of throws that good college quarterbacks can make, and he's hitting guys in stride, and he's he's finding the open guy. Like, I think this is sort of really encouraging to see, I think, especially for Western Kentucky looking into the future of knowing that Last season was not just, you know, we had Bailey Zappi, we had Zach Kitley, and then that's why we were so successful, knowing that you can place other quarterbacks in this system, knowing that you can put other guys in charge of the system and still run a really efficient offense is really encouraging for them. Uh, I I think Austin Reed has done incredible, Uh, you know, better than I think even I expected. Heading into this year being a, you know, moving up, uh, moving up to D1 from D2, like, it's really encouraging to see what they've done, especially through the air. And I think they're still running the ball efficiently. Uh, they obviously don't need to run the ball a lot when Austin Reed throws six touchdowns, but when they're running the football, they're getting a ton of chunk yards. And that's sort of why this offense can work so well in conference two is that. I will say the drawback to Austin Reed's kind of style of play because he plays with so much energy. It's there's a noticeable drop off in, in quality for them when they don't have the kind of start that they want. I know like going into Charlotte, Tyson helped made a point that 
starting fast was going to be huge for them in terms of, you know, getting the momentum that they want to carry through the entire game. And they obviously did that successfully, but there's been plenty of times this year where that hasn't been the case. And it seems like obviously, you know, Reed's a little more rushed. He's a little less accurate and those things aren't really coming together. And I think if, I don't know if he was a little more settled, which obviously that kind of thing only really comes with experience, which, you know, the time is not on their side in that sort of situation. But that's, I think that's kind of been what's held them back from being like a a shoe in for the title game again. Whereas, you know, now it's not looking like that's going to happen for them. Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest thing between Bailey Zappi and Austin Reed is exactly that. I mean, you have to start a little bit faster with Austin Reed because he gets a little jittery. He's just really an energetic player and, those situations sort of are the reason why Western Kentucky isn't putting up the same numbers that they did last year or being as high powered as they are, but you still see some of the flashes. And I think it's the biggest reason as to why this team isn't, you know, shoe in along with UTEP or UTSA, not UTEP, but uh, UTSA for the conference USA championship game. And now they're sort of fighting. And I think what they needed another loss or two from North Texas to even make it. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. I mean, but there's a lot of things to like about Austin Reed's play, but there's still obviously drawbacks to it. And, uh, you know, again, I don't know if he has another year of college. If he did, I think maybe you could clean some of those things up and you'd see a little bit more polished of a player. But, you know, he's definitely been, I think, a really good upgrade as to what they probably would have had. Obviously, if, you know, you know, you lose Bailey Zappi, then you go on with Jared Dahey and whatever else. I mean, to have Austin Reed in there, to be able to run the same offense at a high level is still been really encouraging to see for that offense. Sure. I mean, fantastic athlete for sure. And let's move from one air raid to another here in going to this Louisiana <laughs> Tech game. Do you not like that transition now? Oh, God. Uh, I'm not a fan of the air raid. So run Fair the football, enough. run the I ball, see. establish it. I'll get to the better job that Louisiana Tech's done with that in a minute here. But uh, some background on this one. Tech went at 40 to 24 against Middle Tennessee State. Uh, nice to see Parker McNeil bounce back in this one, throwing three touchdowns uh, and, of course, amassing 285 yards through the air. Um, he hadn't really played so well the last uh, few games. Uh, Landry Liddy, I believe, had been uh, filling in for him. But he comes back in this game and, and gets it done for the most part. And then on MTSU side, I feel like no team in Conference USA – has been more consistently inconsistent than Middle Tennessee over the last several years, and if you're a Blue Raider fan, that's got to be frustrating to see. And you this know, is we, who we, they we, are. this is who yeah, they are at this point. It, it's it's the identity, <laughs> unfortunately, and um, we've we've talked a lot about you know them being able to balance out Chase Cunningham's passing attack with a running game, and it it didn't quite work out in this one yet again. Um, they've certainly had worse days in that regard, but just not not quite what they needed there. But for Tech, something that's been a bit of a surprise for them the last few weeks has been the balance that they've achieved in the run game, like I mentioned. I know with Cumby coming over from the kind of offenses that he ran in the Big 12 and elsewhere, it was expected to be like pass, pass, pass all the time. But what we've seen from that backfield of Marquise Crosby, Jarvis Thornton, Greg Garner, those guys uh, should be rather encouraging in, in terms of what's to come. And also, it, it could very well be just with how young that quarterback room has been um, these last couple of years or these last few weeks, at least with Matthew Downing not really being a part of the equation anymore. Um, at least it would seem that's that's more of kind of a bridge to getting those guys ready for you know throwing the ball 50 times a game next year we'll see but for right now i i I like what that running attack's been able to do in terms of providing balance to that offense i i think with the running attack it shows that that coaching staff can adjust and it shows that they can adjust to the personnel that they have and 
what the defense is giving them. That's sort of the biggest thing for some of these air raid offenses is, you know, if other teams are going to drop eight on you and give you just all these running lanes, can you attack them? Uh, in the case of UTEP this year, yes, they or La Tech this year, they can attack them. And that's encouraging. Uh, obviously, their passing game has still been pretty electric at times uh, with with Trey Harris and a couple of other guys. But this offense, you see the signs of what they can be. It's just a matter of if, you know, another year in the system, another year, you know, of getting guys who fit that system. How do they look next year and in the future? But you see the signs of what this offense can be overall. And I think that's encouraging in year one of, of a new regime is you want to see the signs. Uh, you know, you, you want to see the signs of what this can be. And then it's just a hope of year two, year three, you're putting it together. It's a little bit more consistent. And then, you know, in the case of like a Louisiana Tech, are you winning eight, nine games, seven, eight, nine games? Are you consistently making bowl games? Because that's sort of what the ceiling for this program could be. Yeah. And I mean, you mentioned consistently making bowl games. I mean, if you look at what Skip Holtz did in his job there from 2014 to 2020, they made a bowl game every single year and they won six out of seven of those bowl games. So that's the expectation in Rustin for sure. And I think given kind of the switch to a new offense, the issues at quarterback, look at it this way. Tech's got three more games, one against Charlotte, and then two against two of the better teams in the league with UTSA and UAB. So a bowl's likely out of reach there. But hey, if they get four wins, do you think... Louisiana Tech fans should be fine with a four-win team this year, considering everything that's preceded the year. I think that it's it's cautiously optimistic, I think would probably be the way I'd feel as a Louisiana Tech fan of like, we saw a lot of the things that you want to see out of a first-year head coach, especially a one that I just think that with some of the quarterback problems, you can't run the offense as efficiently as you normally want to. But you see some of the signs of an electric passing game. You see some of the signs of being able to put up points like they did uh, you know, against middle. So if they can find a way to put that together consistently in year two, this is a completely different team. Uh, you know, Maybe you get a quarterback that you trust a little bit more or you get a little bit more consistent at that position and suddenly you're you're you know you're turning a four win team into a six or seven win team and i think that's just been sort of the biggest problem is if you don't have consistent quarterback play you're not going to win a lot of games uh and so if you can find that consistent quarterback i think i would be encouraged uh, you know obviously i don't think it's like a win i don't think it's like looking here and going this is what this is a successful season but it's an encouraging season i think that's sort of what louisiana tech needed this year yeah i would agree with that and plus i mean you look at their record. Let's let's assume they beat Charlotte and then they lose those other two to UTSA and UAB. You know, you finish with four wins, four and eight. The only other two losses that you or two of your losses were in overtime to FIU and Rice. So on the one hand, it definitely makes those sting a lot more if you're Sonny Cumbie, but also it shows like just how close you were to kind of getting back to bowl eligibility in the first year under a new system, a new staff and a lot of new players. Yeah. I mean, and that's why it would be encouraging is like, I don't think a lot of people expected a lot. I mean, personally, I didn't expect a lot out of Louisiana tech this year. I think that they sort of would struggle out the gate and sort of struggle to find ways to put it all together. But I think as I mentioned with, uh, oh God, uh, UTEP, it's like you're probably two or three plays away from beating rice and beating FIU. And that puts you in a bowl game. Uh, the thing is that those plays didn't go your way against FIU. You, you know, you just sort of lose the game late. Uh, so if you find ways to turn those 
poor results and turn those poor plays that don't go your way and have that luck sort of flip over. This is a bowl team this year. So, you know, it's just a matter of finding ways to make it be a little bit more consistent. I think it just starts with the quarterback position. Uh, you know, you need to find a guy who you can rely on to run the offense efficiently. You don't need a guy who's going to be putting up 65 touchdowns a year, but you know, you need to find a guy who can give you, you know, fewer turnovers, a little bit more explosive plays. And that's going to be the difference between winning four games and winning six or seven games. So it's going to be a matter of how well Sonny Cumbie can kind of get his team to adjust to that system, continue uh, continue to get them adjusted to the system rather um, over the course of this next offseason, but seems to have things going in the right direction, at least if you can be able to pull out games uh, games like this against teams that, you know, I, I don't think Louisiana Tech was favored in this one. So if you're, if you're at the point where you're at least beating the inconsistent teams and then also beating the teams that you absolutely should beat, that's a step further than, you know, I think a lot of uh, rebuilding programs expect themselves to be or would like to be so yeah i mean uh, it's encouraging but you still just want to see them do it again in year two consistency is the name of the game for sure it is yes (laughs) all right (laughs) (laughs) i appreciate the i appreciate the energy this evening kevin Uh, i've got a bunch of it (laughs) (laughs) all jacked up on mountain dew coming at each other like coffee it's coffee (laughs) (laughs) you ever mix the two uh, no, I don't think I want to. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really think I want to. For being honest, I I, I, that feels like something. Mount, that feels like something's Mountain Dew has actually done. Like I know they've kind of. No, I'm thinking of Coke. Coke has done that. Yeah, Coke did it, and I unfortunately did drink that once, and it's awful. It's bad. I do not recommend it. Just absolutely do not recommend it. It's just <laughs> one of the worst things I've ever had. Oh, uh, there you go. Do not do not drink Coke or really any soda mixed with coffee. Um, you'll <laughs> you'll die. Luckily. Um, you'll just struggle a lot. Yeah, it's it's not gonna make things it's not Enjoyable. gonna do what you want it to do, really. And then we have UTSA beating UAB 44 to 38, double OT win for the Roadrunners as they continue their march um, to keep first place in CUSA. I know, really. That that was kind of the name of the game in this one. Frank Harris finished with four touchdowns on 31 attempts, 22 completions for 285 yards. Uh, Jacob Zeno on the other side, 27 of 38 for 332 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. Um, difference in this one, I think, though, was probably UTSA's uh, pass rush and their kind of front seven. They got three sacks against Zeno. Kept Dwayne Bride relatively in check. 145 yards, two touchdowns. And I think it's a testament to how good Dwayne McBride really is when 145 yards and two touchdowns is holding him in check. Felt um, like an off night for him, if we're being honest. What's that? <laughs> just, just felt like an off night for him. I, up yeah. The 300 yards that you'd expect from him in a game like this, but. <laughs> right. Uh, I mean, yeah. And then all, Jacob Zeno actually added a rushing touchdown as well. So make sure that's included. 15 attempts for 60 yards on the ground for him. Um, Big loss for UTSA in this game, though. Uh, did get the injury to uh, JT Clark, uh, DeCorian Clark, if as uh, most people know him by. He finished with one catch for nine yards. So we'll kind of see what the extent there is. But he had to be helped off the field there. So uh, tough to see him go down. He's been a big piece of UTSA's passing attack so far. But they they do have... Uh, Thankfully, that, that group is really deep for them. Zakari Franklin, seven catches for 93 yards and two touchdowns in this game. Uh, Oscar Cardenas, four catches for 86 yards. Josh Cephas, five catches for 50 yards and a touchdown. So uh, got plenty of weapons to to deal with. And 
you know, we've talked about the emergence of, you know, some of the younger running backs that UTSA has um, on, on other episodes of this podcast. Uh, Kevin, if you haven't listened, you should check it out sometime. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, <laughs> we got, uh, but in this one, Kevorian Barnes, 16 attempts for 114 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Brandon Brady, 14 yard, uh, 14 carries for 53 yards as well. So, you know, that combined effort there, getting it done for uh, UTSA in the end. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing about this U- UTSA team is that they have so many different ways that they can attack you on offense. Mm-hmm. You know, Frank Harris is obviously a threat on the ground and he can throw a good ball. You know, you've got a couple of pass weapons that you can rely on consistently. And then, as you mentioned, some of these younger running backs stepping up and making plays when they're needed. That's what's a that's what a championship team needs. You know, you need to be able to beat teams in different ways and you need to be able to find ways to win games. And they've certainly done that this year, uh, you know, outside of a couple of non-conference losses that have just not gone their way. Uh, you know, you have the what three overtime loss to Houston and then the loss to Texas, which I thought they played well in both of those games. It's just a matter of not being able to put it all together consi- consistently. But, you know, this UTEP team or UTSA team, I don't know why I keep saying UTEP, but this UTSA team is really good. Uh, you know, shockingly, but this offense, the thing that I love about this offense is that they find ways to beat you in different ways. And that's sort of why they're so effective on offense. Absolutely. That was kind of my reasoning for picking UTSA to, to repeat as conference champs again uh, this year. But um, UAB, let, let's talk about them for a second. They are not really where they want to be. You know, I know Brian Vincent's kind of doing the best he can there and dealing with injuries to, uh, you know, Dylan Hopkins noticeably. He didn't play in this one, still dealing with uh, concussion issues that he suffered um, a couple of weeks ago. So they're four and five. Um, you know, Kevin, what's your take on where the Blazers are as they prepare to make the jump to the AAC and have a, a four and five record a year after uh, making it all the way to the title game again? You know, I was I was on a pod on, on a UAB podcast when they were playing FAU the week that they were about to play FAU. And the thing I noticed talking to UAB fans were they are oddly similar to this FAU team this year. And the fact that they have so many one score losses that feel like they could have gone either way and they just find ways to lose. And that's sort of been the problem for UAB this year is that I think they play well for most of the game and then they just find ways to lose the game late uh, you know this one i think they were down 14 in the fourth quarter they need the hail mary with like 20 seconds left to come back in the game then you push the game into overtime you just don't find a way to finish like <sighs> brian vincent i think is doing as well as he can uh you know obviously a tough situation for him to take over so late in the process and having to t- pretty much take over a team that wasn't his uh you know for the most part it was bill clark's team so to try and process through that and play through that they're in a decent position. It's just a way of like, can you find those last few wins this year to make a bowl game? Give yourself some sort of positive going into the offseason and what we assume is another, uh, you know, is is a coaching search, a national coaching search, and potentially a new head coach. So, you know, it's just a matter of if, if they can find a way to make a bowl game. And I don't remember what their schedule is to end the year, but there are things that I like about this UAB team. There are things I don't like. Um, you know, I feel like they're maybe a little bit too reliant on Dwayne McBride. And as good as he is, I just don't like teams that are so reliant on one guy, especially as a running back, because if teams are taking that away, how effectively can you throw the football at a consistent level? Um, but I think overall, this team has some things that you like. It's just a matter of, can they put it all together in these last, uh, I think they have three games left, find a way to make a bowl game and, Put that as like an encouraging sign heading into the American. Yeah, you mentioned their remaining schedule. They've got North Texas this week, uh, LSU the following week in Baton Rouge, 
and then uh, Louisiana Tech to close things out on November 26th. So, so maybe um, not open, st- but <laughs> I mean, it, that's the thing, though. It's it's within reach. Um, they've got four uh, four wins so far. Uh, that Louisiana Tech game, obviously, very winnable. It's just a matter of like, can they like bring everything together? Is Dylan Hopkins going to be able to get healthy enough in time for that North Texas game? Uh, the LSU one's kind of a wash, obviously, but I think it's all going to come down to like whether or not if the, if they can get Dylan Hopkins back against North Texas, that gives them a fighting chance but obviously that's going to be tough yeah i mean i think i saw something where they're hopeful that he can return or they're planning on him to return i don't remember exactly what it was but they can win i think the north texas game in the last game against the season against louisiana tech now obviously lsu at this point in the year is a lot different from lsu in the beginning of the year or what we expected lsu to be but you know if you could win those two games i think mm-hmm. you look go into it and you know you head in the offseason if you even if you don't win that bowl game you go we made a bowl game with all these situations against us, some of the injuries that we had against us, and I think just not being as top-heavy as they normally are. If you can find a way to put that all together, uh, you know, with a new coach and with an offseason of trying to acquire talent, so it can be a really good team in the American. That can be a really good team, you know, for the for the long term because Bill Clark has set up had set up something that was so consistent and maintainable that they can just find ways to fill in some of the holes. I mean, I think that's the ideal situation if you're UAB, just find somebody who can fill the uh, the hole that he left. I think they were hoping that was going to be Bryant Vincent. Ben. It still very well might be, but I think there's definitely some folks who have seen the work that he's turned in this year and thought, eh, well, hang on a second. Let's kind of review the candidate pool a little bit. Yeah, like let, let's go in and see who, who else is available and see if we can maybe upgrade. But to have a guy like him in your back pocket, I don't think he's done that bad. Uh, you know, obviously not to the expectations that UAB has, but given some of the problems, uh, you know, with injuries and just consistency, like it's encouraging to see what they've been this year. Yeah, you can certainly do a lot worse. And, you know, there, there's a whole conversation we could have there that uh, we, you know, I'm sure folks have heard Eric and myself and, and Evan Dudley have before. But this is a guy that's very familiar with the state of Alabama, was a coach at a good high school there in Spanish Fort for a long time, um, has been with, you know, the UAB program for a long time. I believe he was uh, with uh, he's a West Alabama grad. He, he knows the state very well in in a nutshell in terms of recruiting and getting the best talent out of that state. Um, and again, knows kind of this system that can work. And and really, I think, were they not kind of dealing with some of the injuries that they were dealing with, as well as um, getting really heavily penalized? I mean, they've, but they've had issues with penalties the last couple of years since. Yeah, this this isn't a new issue for them. This isn't a new issue for them. It's just, I think it's maybe a little bit more. It's a deeper issue. Amplified with Brian Vincent because it's a new head coach, but these were problems under, uh, under Bill Clark as well. They're, they're not new problems. Yeah. It's, it's easier for the uneducated to pin that particular issue on, on the first year coach, but certainly there's, there's room for improvement there for sure. Yeah. North Texas beat FIU 52 to 14 in Denton. Good homecoming win for the mean green big lead right away for them as FIU's Grayson James returns to the Dallas Metro area, uh, North Texas, they get the six wins and bowl eligibility for the second year in a row. And looks like they're going to play in a bowl game for the sixth time under Seth Luttrell still never won one in his tenure, but that could very well change this year with how well this defense is playing under Phil Bennett. They're good. That defense is insane. I mean, they're making plays. They've got the top end talent. And I think they've been consistent this year, which has been really encouraging to see because the biggest problem is like North Texas, you can always see the signs of like, they're really good. Can they be consistent this year? They're consistent. It looks like they are probably going to be in the conference championship game. Like there are a lot of things that you like. I thought Asnani played a great game as well. 
I think he threw what five touchdowns. Uh, mm-hmm. Just overall, put together a really good performance. Uh, that offense still, I don't think, is where at like at the top of the conference, but they're that defense is picking up a lot of the slack, and that's certainly something you want to see from that team. Just like, can you put put together the consistent offense with this really good defense? But with the way this defense has been playing. Uh, you know, they look like a team that can definitely, you know, win a bowl game or potentially beat UTSA in the conference championship game. That's what it ends up being because I don't think the gap between those two teams this season is significantly high. But, you know, that's sort of looking down the road. But to be 5-1 and one in the conference, put together some of these wins, especially with the way they started the season, is definitely good to see. Yeah, I mean, if North Texas does, in fact, make it back to the championship game and, and plays UAB or plays UTSA again, then who's to say it doesn't end exactly the same way with, you know, the only difference is can North Texas keep everybody healthy is what I'm trying to say when, if they get back to that title game against UTSA for that kind of rematch, because they have so many different pieces. It's not just any one guy that, that UTSA really has to focus on. And I think you could kind of argue that UTSA's offense is the same way. Um, Oh, for sure. Yeah. And also, I really like this rotation that Austinani and Stone Earl seem to have going the last couple of weeks. Um, these these last several games, I think you can loop this one and the Western Kentucky win and uh, kind of the week before that as well. The best football that I've seen Austinani play since he came back to college. Um, he's improved so much in that time, you know, transferred in from Arkansas and then uh, has has been able to lead this team relatively well. But I think he's earned kind of a reputation as a game manager just with how well that run game is played. Um, but again, these last couple of weeks, I like if you just had these couple of weeks as your sample, you would have a completely different impression of the guy. Um, so you yeah, combine sure. that with the fact that this new kid, Stone Earl, he adds yet another dimension to that rushing attack that's been so good for North Texas all year. It's just another set of legs in the backfield. Yeah, and with some of the injuries that they've had in that backfield, uh, I know like Oscar Attaway is still hurt and was removed from the depth chart, uh, you know, heading into this week. To have another guy that you can rely on in that backfield is really encouraging, especially with the way that a day is played and, you know, just the way that they've been able to maintain consistent rushing. To have another guy in there and, you know, I think we'll need to see if they can sort of make him, you know, make Stone Earl somewhat of a quarterback and force teams to account for him through the air as well, because that could open up so much as well. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, you know, when you run two quarterback sets to, ha- or, you know, when you run with two quarterbacks to have a quarterback who, you know, to be able to consistently rely on both quarterbacks to throw the football would be a huge boost to North Texas offense, especially because when Stone Earl comes to the game, they're not just stacking the box and putting seven or eight guys in there, but definitely encouraging to see them find new legs in that rushing game. Uh, Austin Ani, I think has played his best football because he just looks more confident you know, he's not, I think, second-guessing decisions that he makes. And he's not trying to do too much. He's just trying to take – he's just taking what the defense gives him. And in games like this, when you have such a good defense, you've got different weapons, that's all you need your quarterback to be. It's just the guy who takes what the defense gives them for the most part. And, you know, just just let your playmakers make plays like like he has. 
What did you think of FIU in this one? I know Mike McIntyre uh, after the game said this was probably the most disappointing result for them uh, over the course of the year, just given how well uh, or how much rather he's seen them improve since he took over. And it, I find it hard to disagree with that. Yeah, I just thought I, I just didn't think that they ever found anything. Uh, you know, I don't think they ever found momentum. I don't think they ever found uh, something to rely on in this game. Uh, to see like Tyrese Chambers go as quiet as he did, to see this passing game struggle as much as it did. Uh, I mean, their their leading receiver in this game was Rico Fairweather, who had one catch for 39 yards. And so, you know, this is sort of the bumps that you're going to have as a young program like FIU is in that sort of complete rebuild. The fact that they're four and five is probably the biggest surprise, you know, a group of five football to be four and five with wh- how bad this team was heading into the year. So, Definitely discouraging to see a performance like this because you would have liked to see them not give up 24 points in the first quarter and before you can blink, you're down three, four scores. So I'd like to see them, you know, they have a big game coming up this week against FAU and obviously the expectation was not to make a bowl game, but yeah, definitely discouraging to see the way they played, uh, you know, against North Texas. Still plenty to play for for FIU. I believe they still have a chance to get to They're four and five. They're four and five. five, And they've got three games left here. Yeah, FIU, UTEP, and Middle Tennessee. So, uh, you know, I think all winnable games to different extents. It's just, can you find the consistency? Uh, you know, can you find what you did against Charlotte and Louisiana Tech and find a way to do that against, I think, a little bit more talented of an FAU team than those two teams, a UTEP team that struggled, and a Middle Tennessee team that we still have not found, you know, that consistency and that that identity on offense to where that they can consistently put up points like they did early in the season against like Miami. Yeah. We'll see if FIU can kind of live up to this newfound potential that people seem to have um, for the program. Now that they see, you know, Mike McIntyre implementing those same strategies for rebuilding programs that he was able to do at, at San Jose state and Colorado. So um, good on him for getting them even this far. I think they've exceeded my expectations in that regard for sure. Oh, for sure. Uh, I expect them to probably win like one game this year, if even that. So to be yeah. four wins, even if they finish the year four and eight, like that's one of the most encouraging starts you can have for year one of such a big rebuild. I mean, they've got true freshmen that probably aren't college ready playing major roles for this team. Absolutely. Before we jump into a preview for next week, let's talk a little bit about some of the bigger news from CUSA uh, for next year. If you look ahead to the 2023 season, obviously CUSA is going to look a lot different with the introduction of Liberty, New Mexico State, San Jose's Sam Jose. I like is that like a new I, <laughs> We're I making like, new places. We're making new places. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, Sam Sam Houston State. Yikes. Uh, Jacksonville State, um, and then later on, Kennesaw State. Uh, league's going to look a bit different, but with those changes are also going to come some changes to the CUSA media situation. Um, announced uh, on Wednesday here that uh, it was in Sports Business Journal as well as another of other uh, outlets that most of the league's October League games will be moved to Tuesday and Wednesday nights with a handful of games also planned 
for Thursday and Friday nights in 2023 and beyond. Um, obviously, that's um, coming on the heels of how popular the same strategy has been for the Mac and to some extent the Sun Belt as well. But uh, all those games seems like they're going to be able to uh, be broadcast on CBS Sports Network as well as ESPN, depending on the game. But um, I think that's going to be a lot of fun. But, you know, Kevin, your thoughts on seeing CUSA jump into some of these uh, these midweek slates here that seem to have, uh, you know, helped increase some of these other G5 leagues profile. I think that's what they needed to do. I mean, I think that they tried, uh, you know, Conference USA took a risk with their last TV deal, putting some of these games on stadium and Facebook uh, and, and you know, putting so many games on like different networks that I think people just didn't want to watch it. And there wasn't a reason to watch it. So to put games on Wednesdays and Tuesdays where you're competing with the Mac and you're potentially competing with some conference or uh, some Sunbelt games, but you're not competing with the Big 12 or the Big 10 or any of the Power 5 programs and likely not the American either. Uh, that's encouraging because you want to try and put eyes on your product as much as possible. And there's reasons for, I think, Conference USA to be excited about the future. Uh, I know that Brett McMurphy tweeted that they're going to make a ton more money from this deal. Uh, I think he estimated that they'll earn at least $800,000 a year from this new deal compared to the like four hundred twenty-five dollars that they were making uh, in their last TV deal. So to get that sort of thing, to put these games on national television to an extent in the sense of like CBS sports network and the ESPN networks. That's encouraging because just makes the, makes the product easier to find and you're not going through Facebook or stadium to try and find the game. And it's just in front of you. And when you're scrolling through the, you know, the, the TV guide and you're just looking through everything, you want to be able to find games quickly. So to find those games quickly, I think is just the most encouraging thing. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, what's exciting to me is I would much rather these games be on CBS Sports Network than ESPN+. And I think a lot of COSA folks feel the same way. I mean, at least with with ESPN+, just the frustrating thing for me is more often than not, the folks actually putting together the broadcast on a lot of those games are student media or... You know, it's something akin to that. Very small production teams with very limited resources. Yeah, I mean, and it's not good. It's not. It's, good. We can that's the it. thing. <laughs> that's the thing. It's not. It's yeah. It's it's not good. It's undependable. And I am not trying to take away from universities giving those kids the opportunity to learn those on the job skills and and get to a point where they're employable by one of the larger networks. The issue is for me as a consumer, if I'm going to pay. I would assume probably like 20 bucks a month for ESPN plus at some next year to, with how inflation, et cetera, is going, you know, I, I want it to work. <laughs> and to not Yeah. Be- I want to be able to watch the game reliably yeah. and not have cameras that either drop or just don't track. Well, like it just sort of takes away from the viewing experience, especially for casual fans who don't have a reason to watch the game outside of like it's football. So if you give them reasons to watch the game and the biggest things like production, if it's got solid enough production and a good enough product, like people will watch. And and that's sort of the biggest things Conference USA needs to put eyes in front of their program and their current ESPN broadcast just aren't doing that. Yeah. At least with CBS Sports Network, that channel is already part of most of the major like you know, live TV packages that people are already paying for anyway. The, you know, the, the cable packages as well as the YouTube TVs and slings that are built to essentially like mimic 
what cable packages are, yeah. at least with different wrapping anyway. They're just different, but they're the same thing. And yeah. I guess a little bit cheaper. But like that's the biggest thing is that like CBS Sports Network is a professional level production. I don't think it's still like to the level of like ESPN or anything. And some of the, the broadcasters, I think it's just inconsistent. But to have that combined with being able to put the game in front of people already with YouTube TV and Sling or with their cable of like they're just scrolling through and they see oh, Liberty's playing so-and-so this week. Let's turn that in because it's college football. That's sort of the biggest thing. I think you have to embrace as a group of five program. You have to embrace the weirdness almost. Like you're not going to compete with the big-time teams on Saturdays. So find a way to put your eyes – like put the eyes in front of the product like the Mac did with the Tuesday night games and like the Sun Belt has done with Wednesday night games. Like that's sort of where you're going to be able to separate yourselves as a conference. doesn't hurt that. There's a jump in the revenue split for each school from this new deal as well. Um, this is from the article that Sports Business Journal put out. Representatives of the conference and the networks would not comment on the value of the deal, but sources said COSA schools would be – would be making in the neighborhood of $750,000 per year each, which would slot them just behind what schools in the Sun Belt and Mac are making. So it's a step up, certainly not P5 money, but step in the right direction, obviously. Yeah. I mean, to just to raise the budget of every team in that conference would be big because that's also boosting the product eventually because you're paying more for coaches. You're putting a little bit more into recruiting. You're seeing boosts in what the conference can be. You had seven hundred fifty thousand dollars right now. What would you do with it? Uh, go ghost. No, um, I don't even <laughs> go, know. Ghost I, I get, make your own I, death. And- yeah, like I get asked that question. Like everyone asks that question. Like, oh, what would you do if you won the lottery? I don't know. Probably be a little bit shocked and hire like a good, a good like financial advisor. But I don't know what like my first big purchase would be. Like a house or something. Like I'd probably just buy a good house somewhere that I can live in for the rest of my life, and then. Which actually now with the housing price, I don't even think seven hundred fifty thousand would do anything with that. So, (laughs) (laughs) just buy seven hundred fifty thousand McChickens from McDonald's and see how many I can eat. (laughs) Just save them. See if they appreciate in value or not. Yeah. See if five years from now they're worth like two (laughs) dollars. Have you seen this guy? I. I, I, this only made its way to me through one of the news sites, but I guess a guy on TikTok built a uh, like a sarcophagus almost to preserve a bag of hot Cheetos for future generations, so that one day they'll get to see what they taste like, perfectly preserved. I people have too much time on their hands. Can we just be honest? Like people have way too much time on their hands. The fact that they're able to like willing to build that for TikTok clout, like internet clout. Mm-hmm. Uh, also just way out of my pay grade in terms of like what you'd actually do to make that happen. And now I'm very interested to see that video. So I may need to do some digging after the podcast to find that video. <laughs> wonder why they're doing it. <laughs> yeah. I, I have questions about the motivations here. Someone, this guy accidentally time traveled to the future and just knows that I have to save at least one bag of hot Cheetos or humanity's doomed. Yeah. Like, are they not going to have hot Cheetos in five years or 10 years? Like, is it, they're just going to like suddenly disappear. And he knows that. And so he's, he's making sure that he has at least one bag that he can, he can live off of for the rest of his life or something. I, I don't know why he's doing that. I, Cheetos paid a lot in product placement for Terminator 11 or however many of those movies there's going to be. 
it's a really Probably elaborate marketing plan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Before we get too off track, let's let's talk about next week's COSA slates. Um, a little bit busier than last week, but that just means more entertainment for us. Um, first of all, to kick things off, we got yet another uh, midweek game, I believe, here on. Oh, no, it's all it's all on Saturday this week and a nice little package um, to start things off. At 2 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Plus, we have Western Kentucky hosting Rice Hilltoppers minus 13. Um, I like Western's chances in this one. Seems like they're playing with a little bit more confidence. But again, to what Tyson Helton was saying after the Charlotte or before the Charlotte game, uh, creating a hot start is is so important for them and the way that they like to play. If they can keep you know Austin Reed and the rest of that offense calm, I think they'll be fine. But uh, you know Rice Rice's defense seems to have uh, let up on the gas a little bit the last couple of weeks. Um, I don't know that they can play with the kind of pace that, that Western can. So if, if things are hitting on all cylinders for Western out the gate, they'll be fine. Yeah. I mean, I think if Western Kentucky gets off to a hot start, Rice's offense won't be able to compete with it. Uh, Mm -hmm. That offense is too dependent on sort of preserving clock and keeping games tight and, you know, having a little bit more low scoring games, the fact where, you know, the intelligence and the experience takes over, but knowing that Western Kentucky is able to put up 40 points in any given game, if they can start fast and, you know, get like two early scores before Rice can respond, this is a game that they can win by a couple of scores. It's just a matter of like, which Western do we get? And uh, how does Rice respond to sort of taking punches right to the neck? Like, like, like Western Kentucky is going to give that. Then we have MTSU hosting Charlotte at 3.30 Eastern on ESPN3. MTSU uh, minus 11 heading into this one. I think that's fair. Um, I think MTSU definitely does a little bit better job of taking care of the ball than uh, Charlotte's been able to do these last couple of weeks. Um, I don't think they're going to need a particularly like amazing effort, but they're definitely going to need to um, you know eat up clock and, and not give uh, Chris Reynolds the opportunity to just kind of bomb balls to you know Grant DeBose and Elijah Spencer, which we know we can still do. We saw it in the Rice game. It's, you know, I, I don't imagine they'll just come out and, and sleepwalk again. But at the same time, you never know. But I like Middle Tennessee State. I, I think um, it's going to be one of those. I, I think these last few weeks for them are going to be, you know, they're going to make a bowl game, but we'll see. Yeah. I mean, I think that you need to see how Middle Tennessee sort of respond to having a poor game because it seems like this year with this Middle Tennessee team, it's like, either you're going to keep it close and you're going to go blow, blow to blow with the team or you're just going to get run out the stadium. Uh, and I don't think you'll get run out the stadium by Charlotte just because of where they sit right now, uh, you know, with their, uh, you know, with their process and the fact they're two and eight this season and just haven't found any sort of consistency. So to be able to have a good game from middle Tennessee would be huge going into these last two games against FAU and FIU because FAU is going to be a challenge. It's on the road and, you know, FAU has struggled in Middle Tennessee for the most part, and then you have, uh, you know, a, a home trip or a, a road trip to FIU. Like you're going to need to find a way to get two wins out these games. It's going to probably be Charlotte and more than likely FIU. So if you can find a way to have, just have a good showing against against Charlotte, would be really encouraging for the rest of the year. Then at three thirty. Also at 3.30, I should say, on ESPN+. Plus, uh, UTSA hosting Louisiana Tech. UTSA minus 17 heading into this game. Not too much to say. Should be an easy win for UTSA. I'm curious to see how this uh, you know, this offensive system for Louisiana Tech continues to develop in, in terms of what we were talking about earlier with the run-pass balance. But um, UTSA, too many playmakers for that, uh, that young defense to 
to keep up with, especially with Tyler Grubbs being out. Yeah, I mean, I think this is going to be a pretty self-explanatory game for UTSA. You go out there, you start the game electric, you find ways to keep be consistent. But I think this is going to be a really good test for for where Louisiana Tech is as an offense. Uh, they've scored over 30 points in the last three games. And can you find a way to put together an encouraging performance against UTSA? Uh, because, you know, as you mentioned, it looks unlikely that they make a bowl game. But to get an encouraging game against a team like UTSA would be definitely something that you can hang your hat on going into the rest of the year. Like I know coaches don't love moral victories, but they're still important. And this could be a good, I guess, moral victory game for, for, uh, you know, Louisiana tech, especially with some of the problems that they have, they've had in terms of the defense and you not having a quarterback. Then we have UAB hosting North Texas UAB minus six at, uh, or on stadium. That. Yeah. A little that. bit, a little bit at three thirty Eastern on, uh, stadium i believe um i think so what's, yeah. yeah what's curious about this to me is we know uab's kind of struggled since jacob zeno kind of came in and and took over that starting quarterback spot for the injured dylan hopkins so i imagine that north texas's defensive secondary is going to be ready for that either you either Dwayne mcbride is just going to have a day of all days and be able to shock that that north texas front seven or North Texas is just going to like be able to just run the table. So I'm I'm pretty surprised that UAB is still minus six here, considering they've lost uh, I think at least three straight games. I, don't, I can't remember the last time that UAB has uh, has lost three straight games, but uh, it's certainly been a long time. And I don't know. I, I guess technically it's an upset, but I'm picking North Texas. Yeah, I'm taking North Texas too. Uh, I think that the way Austinani has been playing the last few weeks and the way that this defense has been able to put together good performances. And the fact that you've now find it, found a couple more bodies in the running game, those are all sort of the things that you need against UAB. Uh, you need to be able to sort of control time and make a couple of explosive plays. And I feel a little bit more comfortable about North Texas doing that than UAB finding ways to stop it and then creating explosive plays of their own, especially, uh, you know, this is probably the biggest test for like a guy like Dwayne McBride as well of, you know, the way that this North Texas front seven has been playing. Can he find a way to be a little bit more consistent, but or can he find a way to keep putting together these performances like he has this year? But yeah, I mean, I'm taking North Texas, I think to win, I think it'll be close, but I think North Texas probably wins this one. It's potential CUSA offensive player of the year and Dwayne McBride against potential CUSA defensive player of the year and Katie Davis. So that's, that's an added wrinkle to add to the entertainment value here. And then to close things out at uh, 7 PM FAU, Traveling to FIU just down the road there for the Shula Bowl. Both teams four and five. Uh, FAU minus 15 and a half heading into this one. Um, for FAU, I think they're my pick here. Um, I, I like what uh, what they've done so far this year to get to where they are. It's certainly disappointing um, to be four and five. I know folks were hoping for a better result than that. But I, I think at the end of the day, they've just got too much experience for FIU to keep up with. FIU has certainly surprised us as we've talked about, but um, I think if somehow, some way FIU pulls this out, then next week's going to be interesting in terms of the news cycle. I, that's, yeah. that's my prediction. I think, uh, you know, speaking from the FAU perspective a little bit more, because that's obviously the team I cover. That's the team I know a little bit more about. Right. The big question is what FAU are you getting? Are you getting the FAU where they come out hot and they're able to put together good offensive drives and find ways to pull ahead like they did against UAB for a little bit, like they have done against Rice? 
Uh, or are you getting the UAB or the FAU where they start off the first half a little bit well and it looks encouraging, then they come out in third third and fourth quarter and just can't do anything? Uh, look at the, UC, uh, the UCF game, for example, or the North Texas game. This is sort of the biggest game for FAU because not only is it a rival, but you know they need to finish the season off well for so many different reasons, uh, particularly for a couple of hot seats. And I think, as you sort of mentioned, it's going to be interesting to see what the news cycle is if they're unable to pull out this game because of some of the expectations and some of you know the expectations for what they need to be, especially because these last two games, Middle Tennessee and Western Kentucky, after that aren't great performances for FAU, especially with one of them on the road and then the other one being a really good Western Kentucky team. Another entertaining slate in CUSA. We'll see how it unfolds this week. If you want to follow uh, our Twitter for news, commentary, that sort of thing as these games unfold at underdog dynasty uh i'm at j-o-e-h-a-o underscore kevin is at the kevin fielder um, yeah feel free get to it right his- the kevin no <laughs> the one and only um, <laughs> all right we'll uh we'll be back with you next week uh eric should be back from uh, a little little sicky sick break happy football watching everybody talk to you soon